The second shock that, that's going to happen in our industry, which will be fantastic, is the proliferation of storage and firming. And you're going to see multiple technologies. You're going to see multiple applications. And they all need to be configured together to be able to provide one harmonized system, either in front of the meter or behind the meter. Hello and welcome to Energy Unpacked, a podcast where we break down topics related to the energy transition in Australia. I'm Bronte. And I'm Adam. And we are your co-hosts. Two friends and former colleagues who are passionate about the decarbonisation of Australia's grid and industry. So as an industry, we often talk about innovation and we think of the hardware involved or even the software involved in the industry or the sector. Um, but today we're going to talk about a different area that's often overlooked when you come to innovation. And that's um, business models, services and products that are needed to, um, to push the energy transition along. So to unpack this seemingly dry topic, we've got Joshua Harvey from um, Photon Energy. Um, before we get into it, Josh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and maybe your background as well as your, your current role at um, Photon? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Um, yeah, look, I'm currently the general manager for new energy at Photon Energy. Uh, Photon's a, a pretty small um, player that's really built its its uh, reputation on on delivering really good um, solar projects for consumer and industrial customers in Australia. It's a global player, um, largely based in Europe, and um, we've, we've built a, a fairly small practice in Australia. Um, what we've seen sort of over this, the space of the, the last couple of years, though, is is as we get more and more variable generation or, or solar onto to roofs, we, we've started to really see really three major shocks come into the market. The first being as, as labor and componentry um, that is, is largely in short supply um, hits our market, the prices are increasingly rising and we're seeing more and more competition in the market. So the price for, for end product is, is going down, which has largely meant that the, the margins in, in just deploying solar are starting to erode. We, we've also seen that as we start to move and transition in earnest um, in the energy sector, um, if we believe AMO, then you're going to have 60% of base loads, which is coal-fired power stations, retire, and they're going to be replaced by variable renewables. Um, and that's fantastic. It's an absolutely great outcome, and I think it's it, it adds a whole bunch of richness to, to what our society can experience in the future. Um, but it also brings some challenges in that the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow, and, and by its nature, it's variable. So what we'll start seeing, if we don't have appropriate uh, technology and system integration, is, is much more variability in the price and availability of that electricity at any point in time, both intraday and intra-season. 
and so you're going to have a great amount of velocity come into the market and lastly you've got what i think is is fantastic and i think you know, it plays to the sweet sweet spot of this show is that the human endeavor is always biasing innovation and technology shocks will continue to happen in the next eight years and will probably accelerate and if we just unpack that statement a little bit you start to see three major ones that that drastically affect our industry you've got electrification which opens up significant doors to um, our economy in that as you electrify you increase your efficiency of the output you get for the energy you burn and the most predominant one that you're going to have is the electrification of mobility the second shock that that's going to happen in our industry which will be fantastic is the proliferation of storage and firming and you're going to see multiple technologies you're going to see multiple applications and they all need to be configured together to be able to provide one harmonized system, either in front of the meter or behind the meter. And lastly, what hooks all of those and sort of the steel thread that looks hits a lot of that is, is digitalization. Because most electric cars have a significant computer. Most electrical appliances that are modern today have some form of computer. You have a proliferation of IoT coming onto the market. And most storage is digitalized as well. And so what that allows you to be able to do is be much more discretionary about the load and discharge as you electrify. It allows you to be able to integrate at a much more granular level, at a much, much more time-based level, the firming and discharge of when load, demand and supply need to be able to be matched. And lastly, you've got this computer system that allows you to be able to really move up the control curve significantly. And so, I mean, where Photon's moving very much in that space is largely around um, solving the problem that I think is is at the crux of, of us as, a hum, as humans being able to enjoy where we're going in the next eight years, and that's around integrating five major systems together, that being electrification, generation through renewables and variable renewables, load shifting, and that's through the ability to be able to integrate different types of storage into the system, load shaping, which is around demand response, which allows you to be able to move and shape loads to meet supply. And lastly, but probably the most important, which is, is taking advantage of what I think is, is one of the most important assets that we've ever built, which is the the networks that hold all of this together and the markets that sort of balance the system overall. If we do that well, then you've got a much more efficient system, you've got a cleaner system, and you've got the ability to be able to incrementally add value to businesses and, and normal 
end users that we haven't seen before. And so Photon's really taken up that mantle of really starting to move into that space of, of not really being focused on a specific technology, not being focused on a, a specific retail offer, but really looking at, at going, okay, what do companies and people need? How do we integrate what is largely a complex system into something that's that's user, um, able to be used and appropriately managed for, for people's outcomes? Um, what's my CV that allows me to be a GM of a company that's doing something that, that's excite, that, that is that exciting? Well, I've, I suppose I've had six years um, at Essential Energy, heading up corporate strategy and innovation. And then before that, uh, I enjoyed 17 years with a, a tech company called SAP, delivering business solutions for, for companies in Australia and China um, over those years. Thanks, Josh. You've, you've, jumped, you've, you've managed to weave jumping straight in with an introduction and, and the, you know, the lay of the land. Um, so that, that's great. Um, I think a couple of things I wanted to pick up on in there. So you, you talked about some of what's driving the, the change but, um, and pushing and, and kind of where Photon's looking. But um, I just wanted to unpack a bit further. Do you, do you see it as a simple kind of, you know, this change is driven, being driven very simply by, you know, we've got to decarbonize or it's being driven by price or it's being driven by customer just desire or it's being driven by, or something else. Like, yeah, can you, do you reckon you could dive a bit more into um, what you think, you know, is pushing the need for, for this change? Well, I, I think it's a mix of everything, but I think it's it, if you, you boil it down to its nucleus, you've got really two macro forces being applied to Australia and, and largely globally, which is, is you've got a, a very large proportion of fuel stocks um, in coal that has been um, processed in, in coal-fired power stations those assets are coming to end of life. Um, and at some point in time, as any good asset manager realizes, you can prolong that for a, a certain period of time. And then you really do have to look at, at either refurbishing them or, or replacing them. Um, and I think, you know, a large portion of Australia's um, infrastructure in that area is coming to end of life over the next six years. Um, you overlay that with one of humanity's largest challenges, which is climate change. And you, you're starting to see really two forces at play here. You've got um, capital that is increasingly more difficult to acquire if you're going to invest in fossil fuels. And you've got a social license problem where people are starting to put one and one together and go, you know what, there's a better way for being able to acquire our energy. We may not have worked out the system quite yet, but it's probably not coal. Um, and so how do we how do we actually start to at that point of inflection as coal comes off the system? we transfer that on to a fuel stock that is sustainable and, and able to be used going forward without creating the damage that 
that has occurred in the past through um through through fossil fuel consumption um and then i think you know then that's probably the the two harder sides of that coin and then if you look on the other side of the coin you you know you're looking at some of the most amazing technology breakthroughs that really have occurred in in known history you know if we look at just how mind-bogglingly valuable evs are from the fact of the technology they bring to the market, their ability to be able to um, be much more efficient than internal combustion engines, simply because they're electric. Um, their ability to be able to integrate in with multiple sets of infrastructure. So, you know, if I'm running an internal combustion engine, unless I have a tank of gas in my tool shed, well, I've got to go to a petrol station to fill that up. Well, with an EV, I've got options at home. I have options at work. I have a destination charging option. I've got a fast charging option. Some of the infrastructure isn't fully deployed. And yes, it's a bit annoying to get a charge, but it will come as fuel stations did when internal combustion engines not, came online. Not to, mention, not, not to mention the ability to uncharge <laughs> is another way to think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other, that, Absolutely. The other way, which I mean, you're never going to be Absolutely. siphoning, siphoning your gas, or your, your petrol out of the car has never been glamorous. Well, <laughs> I think that's a great point. Like, I mean, if you just, you know, we, you know, I was doing a wrap up for my team today and, you know, we, everyone's surprised Snowy Hydro has been delayed yet again. Well, you know, big infrastructure projects are challenging by their nature. Well, just purely from consumer bias and possibly also through lack of options, over the next eight years, most people will transition to an EV. With that amount of cars that become electric vehicles, the storage alone that's sitting on the roads equates to multiple magnitudes of what Snowy Hydro brings. And that's without the government investing a cent. So you kind of sit back and you just go, okay, put a pin in that. That technology, when you start to unwrap it, is mind-blowing, and I don't think we've even tapped into everything of value that, that that change can do. You add digital into the mix on top of that. You add storage into the mix and the fact that most devices are coming out with some form of storage in situ in the application or alternatively its ability to charge from batteries going forward you then go and add into that some of the um, some of the other technologies that are driving efficiencies in how we consume and then you start to be able to mix all of those together and you just go how exciting is the next eight years going to be yeah i feel like you've done a really good job of painting a picture of the exciting prize or opportunities in the technology innovation that are ahead of us um, and the role mm. for storage and uh, the storage inherently in EVs as well to play in that future. What do you see as some of the challenges or barriers to realising that future state, noting some of the things you mentioned before around social licence uh, and consumer attitudes? Well, I think that, you know, we've got to be really careful. I mean, as a society... 
we've got to be able to a earn social license and make sure that we are doing good for the community b i think there's some incredible work that's gone into social science about the adoption and making sure that people are not left behind because they don't understand or they can't afford certain types i think I, to be honest i think regulation takes a battering in some instances in that largely regulation and legislation is lagged by its nature and so i think we need to be adaptive about around regulation and legislation but it's got to be driven by the consumer and consumer preferences and so you've got to get the application and the value usage right first we've got to be very um, careful and, and concise about um, security and making sure that people's preferences and, and safety is involved and then we've also got to be able to mix that with our ability to be able to maintain what is a relatively complex system and if we don't do that well and we don't do that in an integrated way then we're going to have some challenges along the way and then lastly i think one of the big challenges at the moment is is really sort of a, a an end outcome of all of that which is is you know all of this system is going to be heavily reliant on measurement and data and our ability to be able to leverage innovation off that data and so as a as an overall group we need to work through how how we actually are able to acquire that data and be able to have access to it in the appropriate level in the appropriate setting in a way that the system can benefit from that and as a result of that end consumers benefit and you know i think that's that's been one of the big stalking horses for, for quite a ways i mean the delays in smart meter rollout are a great example of the fact that you know what is what is a big hindrance to being able to manage that system is is it our ability to be able to access good data and be able to make better decisions because of that um, i think also probably the mentality of 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 the overall system largely we've we've come from a legacy and quite rightly so of energy is a utility i don't really care about energy or electricity what i care about is is when i come home the light turns on the fridge is cold the baby milk is warm um, and as a result of that we've really built a system that's largely based on asset management and you know, Adam, I'd hold you in deep regard, but good asset managers are focused on the asset, not necessarily the consumer. Um, I think our system inverts in the very near future. I think being able to lean in and understand what someone wants to do or what someone's best outcome is, and then be able to overlay a, an integrated system that isn't complex for the user, it may be complex for the people delivering it, becomes really, really important. And that's going to have multiple technologies, multiple stakeholders that need to be involved, uh, multiple depths of, of integration of various assets that are there. But at the end of the day, the person is going to have a goal that they want, whether or not that's green electrons or electrons from New South Wales or electrons that um 
are stable or more reliability for your grandmother who's a bit sick and you're a bit concerned about them. Um, they're all, all individual outcomes that someone is going to be looking for and we've actually got the ability to build new solutions that actually accommodate those those outcomes that people want and I think it'd be a great a great step forward if we can actually start to put this person in the center of the equation and not necessarily the system and pick up pick up a couple of things in there so it's come up both in the the intro and there as well we talked about the focus on kind of end-to-end -end or integrated solutions um, that put the customer at the center um, there's, when I hear the word integrator end-to-end, my engineer brain goes to standards or standardization, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, do you see, you know, do you see standardization as a barrier to this stuff happening, an enabler? Do you wait for it? Do you not wait for it? You know, is there, is standardization a, a good path? How, how do you see um, standardization fitting into um, kind of, these end-to-end -end solutions or integrated solutions um, turning up? I think integrate, I think standards are a necessary end to system integration. And I think there's many great systems that have, have been bespoke for a very long time. And then we eventually come to the conclusion of, wouldn't it be nice if we actually hooked all of this together using stock standard um, standards that allow us to integrate. And rail is a great example. Um, and this is, you know, if, if we look at Apple or if we look at Tesla, which are closed systems, this is the real advantage of a closed system at the moment, which is, is it allows them to move very fast. It allows them to be hyper competitive on quality. Um, and it allows them to be able to adapt as things change. Um, the inverse of that is, 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 is closed systems in some degree flaunt um, and um, start to put barriers in, in place for innovation in that, you know, and this is why Apple created its, its app store was to try and overcome that, which is if you've got a closed system, then the only good ideas that you can ever apply to your platform are your ideas. And there's a lot of other smart people out there. Um, and when you start to look at that, then you have to have standards applied to be able to get that integration working. And when you're, when you're talking about such an integrated system as an electricity system, then the inevitable outcome is, is that, that, standards and integration end up being at the forefront of that there's a lot of moving parts there's a lot of people that need to agree there's a lot of engineers that have to agree which unto itself is a challenge um but i think eventually you'll start to see standards starting to get applied and they'll either be voluntary or imposed but they will come and in terms of product development or what that looks like at Photon, how do you put the customer at everything when you're developing services and business models? Well, I think you start by talking to them and you start by talking to them in a way that isn't engineering and energy. It's 
business and and very fo- we're we're focused on on consumer industrial. So, you know, we we're, we're actually very very focused on when we we engage with a customer, we're talking about their business problems. We're talking about their personal problems. We're talking them about what their what legacy their company wants to leave in Australia and. You know, and that that sits to the decisions the board makes, the decisions the executive make, the the policies and and programs that are issued out of those two two layers. So look, what was I'll start again. So I mean, effectively, the way we start is is we don't try and impose energy any energy points or understanding on a customer. What we really look at is really deeply understanding what a board's looking for, what an executive's looking for, what programs are they um, are those two decision bodies kicking off, what are the challenges they have, what are the customer expectations, their customer expectations are on the firm. And our job is to then be able to match that with how energy can not only support those objectives but really drive a, a, a better outcome for them if they use the system well and then what our job is is to be able to put really great systems in place through renewables through better understanding of energy efficiency energy management electrification through providing innovative retail solutions uh, through demand response and through access to market, but we're presenting it in a way that ha- that the customer doesn't need to understand any of those terms. What they need to understand is is what they need to do, and be able to understand how, through some really smart decisions, they can actually deliver great, much better outcomes through leveraging some of the great solutions that, that the energy market's coming up with in the next eight years. Connecting both, connecting connecting what you said there around like putting the customer at the centre, which seems to be the um, starting point for a lot of the, the stuff you're doing at Photon. Um, have you got any examples or a vision for how combining that customer, customer focus with you know, the challenge that we've talked about, which is the high penetration of renewables, basically a, a grid with a lack of firmness. Have you got any, yeah, do you want to take us on any particular examples of product mm-hmm. areas that that can combine those two things, you know, putting customer first and des- designing to the customer, but still addressing kind of the specific uh, challenges that we're seeing on the, in, on, the, on the grid side, I suppose, or the, the, the energy market side? I think, a, a, you know, let's 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 take a take a walk through transport. I think it's a great great example. Uh, you know, I mean, we're we're currently talking with with a, a couple of long term parking providers, both hotels and airports. Um, you know, the current current arrangement at an airport, and I'll make this a bit fictional to protect the protect the innocent but the current experience at the moment is is you know if I need to take a flight to Melbourne for example for a, a week 
you know, I get up awfully early, I drive to the airport, I park my car, I fly to Melbourne, I do my thing, a week later I come back, I have a ridiculously large bill for a car that has pretty much done nothing for the term that I'm there. Play forward, let's call it five years. I drive up in my EV, I park my car, the parking centre knows when I'm going to be back because it's integrated in with the airport information system. I identify that I'm more than happy for my battery to be charged and discharged while I'm away, but I want it full when I return. I hop on a plane and do my, do my business in Melbourne. In the meantime, my car, along with other cars that are parked in that parking spot, are being able to support the airport. They'd be able to provide demand response where needed. They'd be able to supply the community. They're being able to either consume or discharge energy to support the grid, which means lower network charges in that area. And when I get home, I not only can hop in my car with a full battery, but I'm actually getting a loyalty program credit that I can actually go and get either a discount or a free flight from the airport for being able to have them use, um, use the charge. The parking station has been able to get a rate of return for my car being parked there and the airport's being able to get a, a, a large amount of services from resilience through to cheaper network charges or because they're being able to facilitate and coordinate EV charging and discharging um, when people are, are parked up doing their everyday thing. So you've been able to actually completely flip an experience from really a very much a transactional cost to me that I don't like but I have to do to actually a really pleasant experience going forward where everyone wins. Now that's an innovative model using innovative technology, using a bunch of value streams that where other parties are actually taking value for a nascent asset. And you're combining that into a customer experience that's, that's, that's pleasant. Yeah, I mean, it completely flips it on its head. That's a, that's a good one, that's a good example. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I think that's a really, really cool vision and something that I hope um, we'll see becoming a reality in the next five or so years. Well, plus the, 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 uh, the icing on the cake for that is in the car. The car, you don't have the 10 minute wonder around where the hell did I put my car? Yeah, it comes to you. <laughs> that would also be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but that, yeah, <laughs> guarantee. Uh, no, this isn't a fully formed thought, but I'm curious, like um, when you're looking at those really innovative projects that are, um, talking about services um, that may, or markets that maybe don't exist yet in terms of vehicle to grid um, or uh, self-driving cars in terms of the regulation enabling those things or car manufacturing warranty supporting that. How do you, um, from a commercial business perspective, continue to drive in that direction? I think it's, I think, I mean, first and foremost, it's about being able to lean into consumers and make sure it's something that they want. Mm. 
The second thing about it is, is then build out a consortium of the willing, both from an OEM point of view, from a network point of view, from a supplier point of view, where you put forward ideas that make good common sense that are better for the customer. And you work together to be able to build out starting with small systems, but then ramping them up and making sure they prove. And then, and then what you need to do is, is lean into the regulation and the legislation and be able to take them on a journey where it's not a scary big change that you have to make, but you can make incremental change that, that benefit the customer over time. Um, you know, I think a lot, a lot of, a lot of the, the gap between what regulation we have and, and what we need is because we, we don't, we, 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 we're in a, environment where the regulators sequentially go and and craft comment and and statement on an idea that's come up now, I'm, I'm very much for more of a collaborative environment where you prove something out you prove that it works you prove that it incrementally adds value and you take the regulator on that journey it, it's less risk for them it's it's the ability to be able to have people prove that that things aren't scary or there's there's little downside, and and more often than not, common sense kicks in. I think it's great that you've got that perspective of businesses um, creating consortium consortiums and um, bringing in the relevant parties to help prove and pilot these projects to realise a future vision. Um, Adam and I were speaking to another guest recently who works in a startup um, accelerator business. Um, so that's obviously one way in which you've got a lot of innovation and new ideas, new technologies, new business models being generated and propelled, I guess, into the market. Do you think there's a larger role for businesses or bigger, more established corporates to play in supporting the innovation ecosystem? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it kind of goes to my... I hinted at it, hinted at it with regards to closed systems. You know, there's so many fantastic ideas that are out there in startup land that given the right environment, given the right access to commercial avenues and, and testing really can fundamentally change people's lives. And I, I think the more we lean in and the more we nurture that that environment, the more we'll benefit benefit from it commercially, the more we'll benefit benefit from it from a community point of view, and the more we'll benefit from a nation point of view. And you've you know you if you look at, at some of the innovation hubs in the US, the innovation hubs that are starting up in Australia, I mean some of the things that are coming out of that are the echelons of where we're going and that's that's such a great thing well thanks thanks josh um it's been a it's been a really good whirlwind tour um i think that's opened our eyes a bit uh you know an often overlooked part of the the challenge in the energy transition so that's um yeah and that's been it's been really good my last question um is, is probably almost a bit of a call to arms i suppose to to the audience i suppose what what do you see as some of the ways people can maybe engage differently? Um, 
with some of the product services or even the, the, the places they go to look for these products and services or, or even how they should think about them differently when they're looking for, um, I mean, yeah, it sounds a bit cliche, energy products. No one actually, um, no one really usually wants to go looking for energy products until maybe a price shock triggers them into it. But, um, I mean, maybe that's the problem. So I suppose take it where you want, but what do you, what do you see as, um, uh, some of the, some of the things people could do differently? Look, I think from a people point of view, it starts with picking, picking providers that aren't trying to sell you the next silver bullet. You know, there's so many big players and small players that they want to sell you this battery because it does 10,000 um, 10, volts. It's got, this, uh, you, it's got this magical you chemistry. You need to go and you know, buy. It's got, yeah, exactly. It does everything. It's an incredible <laughs> thing. And, and you're going, oh, my God, I, I don't really even understand what you're talking about. Go to Start going to providers that can break this stuff down into common sense and take the time to actually understand what your concerns, wants and needs are. Work with those providers. Those providers as a call to arms need to be able to start to lean into customers because the technology is there that most things that any consumer wants can be achieved. We just need to be able to hook that together and be able to work through how we actually go and do that. We need to be able to provide solutions that are able to be offered not only to the rich but also everyday people and then as an industry i think we need to lean in and take regulation and legislation with us um you know i think australia can be such an incredible place um, that can be a landmark for what you can do with the energy transition and i I genuinely think with the creativity that we've shown throughout the numerous years we've existed, with some of the, the talent we have in our universities and, and in the commercial sector, and with just the implicit need we have as, as a large country with many kilometres to travel and you know a natural gift for renewables, I think we can really integrate into something that's that's quite incredible. Oh, that thanks, Josh, and that's quite a nice note to finish on on a positive outlook for for Australia. I think definitely a lot of our a lot of ourselves and our listeners can can latch onto that. Hey, it's Bronte here again. When I'm not discussing energy transition topics on Energy Unpacked, I'm working with businesses to explore and implement solar and storage projects in my role at Shell Energy. Please note that I'm not speaking on behalf of Shell Energy in this podcast and the views represented here are my own.